All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's a beautiful morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. Uh, with me, as always, is normally Brandon Jarrell Newman, super producer extraordinaire. Brandon is in the middle of a move. Him and his family are shipping off down from Kentucky to Florida. So, as you can imagine, that requires a lot of time, attention, and effort for a family that's got two kids. So, with me today and for the rest of the week, and someone who's been a part of our show now for the last couple weeks here in the DraftKings family, is our producer, Aubrey. Aubrey, how you doing? Ooh, you know, I'm good. A little tired. Um, I've already, I've been here, what, uh, I guess a month. I've already started having work dreams. Um, oh, God. I don't know what that says. <laughs> good things, I I was going to say, I guess it says you're very dedicated to the company and they should give you a raise. That's what it sounds like is you're actually working overtime if you're dreaming about work already. Right. Like there, you know, the, the hot crazy scale, but there should be a scale for like stress and raises. And like if you start having work dreams, it's it's up there to, to get a raise. Yep. That's in yeah. the unicorn range. That's in the unicorn range of give this person a raise. I also like unjob related. I've been having the weirdest dreams lately and like no melatonin, no, sometimes I do sleepy time tea and that will usually, you know, throw, throw a wrench in the brain chemistry. Um, literally nothing, just, just going to sleep. And I woke up the other day, I had this dream and I was just in this like airplane hanger. Um, some random guy comes around, he's got these like exotic animals and I'm like, oh, whose animals are these? And he's like, Lenny Kravitz, like, of course. And I'm like, okay, Lenny Kravitz comes around the corner in my dream. He has this like baby elephant with him. So I'm like petting this elephant in my head. Like I'm thinking this in my dream. So I'm like, is this some sort of like inception dream? And I'm like, ask him about the big scarf, you know, like the big scarf photo where it's like his whole He's wearing a blanket. He, he, it's not a scarf. Yeah. He's, wearing a blanket. he's not slick for that. <laughs> but I was like, 
ask him about it, ask him about it. And I'm like, no, don't. You're petting this elephant. Don't ruin the moment. And then I wake up. Damn. You can't even look that up. That's not on Dream Moves. That is not online. I have no idea what that means. Well, wait. So there was a baby elephant in there, and then you said there were other exotic animals. Like, what ones do you remember? There was a bald eagle that was, like, doing 360s in the air. It (laughs) might have had something wrong with it. I don't know. Um, There were, like, some ducklings. There were some other little furry creatures running around. The, The main ones I remember was, like, the eagle and this baby elephant and, of course, like, Lenny Kravitz. I appreciate that you were kind enough and like respectful enough of someone else in the space in the dream. Like, nah, I don't want to blow up his body. Probably gets asked about the scarf a lot. You're very aware in this dream. So that was at least very kind of you again, deserving of a raise. I know. Right. And like this morning I had another one. It was very short lived. This, so I, I have a cat. It's not with me. Um, I was leading a lifestyle where I was traveling a lot. So it lives at my parents and will remain there for the time being because I, I just don't have time. But so I'm, I'm having this dream and this Clemson football player is like making fun of my cat, um, as a lot of people do, because he's 23 pounds. And oh, you know, you've got a beef cat. Yeah. Oh, I follow all those uh, Instagrams accounts that are like round boys that have very chunky animals on them. So shout out to your cat. Yeah, Mr. Thickums. And um, Wait, is that his name? No, but I wish it was. It just came up. Oh, I was like, oh, tell me he's actually called that. The prophecy fulfilled. Incredible. But so wait, now. a Clemson football player was making fun of your cat. Yeah, making fun of him. And I'm like getting so angry. I'm about to tackle him. And then I wake up and like, that's the dream. And this is like, this is reoccurring that these are my dreams. They're just like these very vivid, just so weird. And I wake up and I'm like, I'm not even going to bother looking this up because I have no idea what this would tell me. I'm bummed you didn't get to feel the sweet like release of the hit, like delivering contact in that spot. We talked about Matt Milano had that great hit on Mike White that damn near took him out of the game. And it sounds like you were about to, on behalf of your cat too, which again, feels kind of messed up that you've got a tiger attacking a cat in this instance for a Clemson guy. (laughs) I know. And I didn't even get my revenge. Couldn't even Mike White him. You know what? It sounds like based on this trajectory that you're on, you're going to have another dream opportunity to get a crack at this Clemson player. And so we wish you well in that endeavor here. Um, Aubrey, uh, if nothing else, we could say you were a dreamer, like that in, in every sense of the word. So what a positive. <laughs> the only one. We have a great show for you guys today. Uh, dreams and reality included on this one. Uh, in addition to trying to dissect what uh, Aubrey's got going on when she lays her head down on the pillow at night, we are going to talk to Marcel Louis Jacques, uh, ESPN NFL Nation Dolphins reporter and formerly ESPN NFL Nation Bills reporter about the matchup coming up this weekend between the Bills and Dolphins. We've spent so much time hyper-analyzing this Dolphins team, nitpicking everything that's gone on with their quarterback to a tongue of Iloa. And so figuring out how that team's going to respond to the last couple of weeks and the weather this upcoming weekend, going to be a fascinating conversation with Marcel. We also have news out of the Pac-12, the World Cup, and the hottest new reality dating show on television that we will certainly get to. But uh, I am... Aubrey, excited to have you here, but very bummed that Brandon's not here for me to once again bring up his Los Angeles Lakers and make him answer for their crimes. And this time it actually would have been something semi-positive with what this team put on display. The Celtics get overtime win against the Los Angeles Lakers uh, two nights ago now. And listen, it's 
pre-December 25th. So I am not spending a ton of time regularly with NBA basketball or college basketball or anything of the type. But with this Lakers team, and we know the outside is interested in them because of LeBron James, I like to check in every once in a while. And this was one of those games that the Lakers were down in the third quarter as many as 20 points and clawed their way all the way back in. And so I was able to check in for the better part of the third quarter into the fourth quarter and get most of the second half. And what I saw reminded me of Denny Green. This was a we are, they are who we thought they were type moment for this Los Angeles Lakers team. Because what we saw in the middle of this comeback and what we've seen as of late with this team is what they're capable of when their foot's all the way down on the gas. When you've got Anthony Davis playing big minutes and continuing to score on an absolute tear right now. Anthony Davis, who finished with 37 points, 12 rebounds in that game, has been what the Lakers have needed him to be going back to the bubble for the last couple of seasons. This is what we expected all along, for him to go and be the tent pole that allows this whole thing to go and operate, that allows an aging LeBron James to get the best out of himself, that allows a Russell Westbrook, who is still a self-check from beyond the arc, to go out and be his best self in this game, which he was, a double-double, four blocks in this game from the guard spot, including some big ones down the stretch. But ultimately, what we saw was a team that is limited in all the same ways that we knew having that come back and bite them in the ass. The Lakers are 29th in the NBA in three-point percentage, 28th in the NBA in three-point attempts, and number one in free throw attempts per game. And what we saw in this game was they had 30 free throw attempts, including two big misses by Anthony Davis at the end of this game where he got to the line, I believe 13 or 14 times in this game, made 11 of them, but missed two big ones at the very end, like he did against the 76ers not too long ago in a game they ended up losing. And a game where they shot 27% from beyond the arc, which is below their season average, which is again, still bad. And when it got down to nut cut in time at the end of this game, The Celtics, you literally heard it in their huddle. They went into their huddle on the sideline in the fourth quarter, and their head coach is saying, all they've got are transition buckets and buckets in the lane, and so we're just giving them that right now. And immediately after that, you saw them slough off into the lane and clog that up, and you saw the Lakers' legs die underneath them because playing the style of basketball that Los Angeles not wants to play, has to play with this roster, is going to take it out of you. They were gassed by the end. LeBron James is chucking up distance threes. Anthony Davis is going down there, working his ass off, trying to post up, but can only hold it for so long because, again, he's now the focal point. He is now this offense's best form. This was the second time the Lakers had lost a game in which they led by double digits with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter this season. The rest of the NBA has done that twice combined this season, according to ESPN Stats and Info. That, to me, is indicative of the margin for error is razor thin. On any given day, when they play their best basketball, clearly, they can play with the best teams in the league. The Celtics have the league best record right now. They've been one of the best teams through the early portion of this NBA season. And the Lakers stared them eye-to-eye, clawed their way back into this game, and should have won. Like, Anthony Davis just makes one of those free throws. They go up two scores, and now, all of a sudden, we're closing out this ball game and talking about this entirely differently. But that didn't happen. And what it opened the door up for was Jason Tatum to go out there and be young and special and to put LeBron James in a blender on the last possession for the game time basket to send it into overtime and then to allow Jalen Brown to keep pouring it in there. 
they looked exactly like the Boston Celtics that were picking up from where they left off last year in the NBA Finals. And this Lakers team looked like a reminder of what's ultimately going to be the thing that damns them, I think, this season, barring some move around the deadline, barring something unforeseen, is a team that's good enough on any given night to go out there and go toe-to-toe with the best in the business, but also old enough and lacking the three-point shooting in a way that's going to deplete them and I think hurt them, certainly over the course of a long season, but definitely over the course of what we talk about in the postseason, a seven-game series where the turnarounds are a little quicker and the focus is a little bit different. It could make them dangerous in that setting when we get there, especially if Anthony Davis keeps this up. Like, Lord Jesus, if you go back and look at Anthony Davis's recent string of games here, and I want to pull it up, just the way that this guy has been scoring so far in this season. Anthony Davis is the team leader in points per game at just over 28, the team leader in rebounds per game at about 12 and a half, the team leader in steals per game, and the team leader in blocks per game so far this season. In Anthony Davis's last stretch of games here recently, these have been the point totals that he's gone on off for. 37 in that game against Boston, 34 before that, 31 before that, one in a game in Cleveland that I think he left because of injury, 55 before that, 44 before that, 27, 25, 25, 37. You get the point. The guy's been the force that they expect him to be, but when you construct a LeBron James without capable and ready three-point shooting around him, you ultimately undermine what you can be on the top end, and it was incredibly entertaining. We're going to get some entertaining games. I know they cut to Charles Barkley and the dudes on inside the NBA at halftime, crapping all over them, Charles saying the Lakers are a bad team and we shouldn't be forced to watch them in primetime anymore. I'd imagine we're going to get to, and I'd imagine on occasion they're going to deliver in the way that they did in this game. But ultimately, we saw the ceiling absolutely show up at the end of that fourth quarter and definitely going into overtime. So while it was entertaining, and we'll see, there's more of the people lining up. Like Russell Westbrook on his own is going to do enough to feed the take industry because that guy played with all the energy down the stretch, was a menace from foul line to foul line, was about the only person that looked like they had their legs under him in overtime. And again, still in critical junctures, settling for jump shots that the Celtics were more than willing to give him. You wonder if he'll do enough, and all the articles are going to get written about will he do enough to be something viable for them when it comes time for the trade deadline. I'll wait to see on that because there's still a lot of money for a player whose limitations, like this team's, seem pretty clear at this point. Um, Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge. You grab the bull by the horns. You find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. 
Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. The other thing that stuck up, speaking of limitations, that that kind of struck me as pretty interesting is I feel like we're having a banner year, and this will work into the conversation that we'll have with Marcel about the Miami Dolphins, is the way we've been talking about Tua Tungavailoa for the majority of this season is interesting in contrast to a guy like Jalen Hurts. And the reason Jalen Hurts' name comes up is because of some comments that Micah Parsons made on Von Miller's podcast. He went on the Voncast with Von Miller and was asked about the Philadelphia Eagles and what we've seen so far this season from Jalen Hurts, their quarterback. And I want to pull up his exact quote right here. Every time I log on to ESPN to use one of their articles, the ad starts playing about 30 seconds in. And so I was trying to read that to you guys with a Burger King ad singing in my ear the entire time. This is the quote that he said. So Micah Parsons went on the Voncast and was asked, when you look at the Eagles, is it Hurts or is it the team? Parsons responded. He said, I think it's a little bit of both, man. It's a system and team. I'm not trying to make no enemies. I just love the game so much. And I understand it so much that when things are off, I just can't hold it in. I almost got to say something. Now, Hertz declined to say anything. Jordan Mailata, his left tackle in Philadelphia, got a little bit spicy saying, I'm going to worry about the Bears. Micah should worry about his game too. I don't know who the F they're playing. Pardon my language. Just worry about who you got this week. I can understand, but this is really the first time this season I think anyone sort of brought up that idea with Jalen Hurts. Again, that's been almost exclusively a Tua conversation, and I think there's a couple of things to feed into that as we are having very real conversations right now about Jalen Hurts as the MVP, an award that I've said has been Patrick Mahomes for the vast majority of the season. I still think it's Patrick Mahomes, but Jalen absolutely is right now down the stretch as the Eagles are playing some of their best football in that conversation. And I think why it's different between the two has a couple of different factors that are always contextual, right? We've talked about Tua Tungavailoa in this offense, maybe not being able to create outside of the structure as much, struggling in the last couple of weeks when people knock them off kilter, knock their receivers off the timing, all the things that we watch the 49ers and the Chargers do in consecutive games. That's also so far been the only way that we've seen Tua affect the game. There's not a lot of other elements. I feel like when you factor in the fact that Jalen Hurts, even on the games where the passing attack hasn't been the way that Eagles decided to win, the one thing that we've said about them is the Eagles have been as multiple as anyone on offense. They've been able to win in a variety of different ways. Close games, dominant passing games, games where the ground game becomes the sole structure. They rushed for 363 yards in an NFL football game this season. And when Jalen Hurts is such a big part of that rushing attack and affects it in the way that we see guys like like Josh Allen, guys like Lamar Jackson, other mobile quarterbacks around the league do so, it adds an element to your game that all of a sudden makes it a little harder even on an off-passing day for people to criticize you in the same way because you're still finding a way to affect the outcome. I think in addition to the versatility, when even if it's not the passing attack, he helps drive this offense, is also just the vantage point that each quarterback came into. We talked about both of them to start the season. We asked the question even on this podcast, who would be more likely to have their job in 2023? Both of them is an overwhelming yes right now. That's not what this is about. 
But what it's about is the reaction of one quarterback versus another. And it's impossible to erase the way that these guys came into the league. Tua Tungabailoa came in as a guy with a tank slogan attached to his name. People wanted to lose to get this quarterback on their team. And we know a catastrophic hip injury at Alabama certainly affected the trajectory on that. But even still, he was the quarterback that as they got there had that aura about him. He was the first rounder. He was the guy that was supposed to be the guy and for so long wasn't. And so certainly, you know, not progress isn't always linear, I think is really the perfect summary of the Tua Tungavailoa experience where now he's got in an environment that's giving him a chance to have success that built up around him. That's the same thing we saw for Jalen Hurts. Now, Jalen Hurts wasn't supposed to be the guy initially. Both of these guys did come in with veteran quarterbacks playing in front of them, right? We had a very, the best version of Ryan Fitzpatrick playing in front of Tua Tungavailoa before Brian Flores decided to make that switch in the middle of a season that they were playoff contenders in down the back half of that year. For Jalen Hurts, he came into this situation in Philadelphia with the remnants of Carson Wentz and all of the trauma that came with that era of Eagles football at that position, but he was a second round draft pick. He wasn't supposed to be the guy right away. And I know that feels like a small difference, but that one and two are worlds apart in how they're received and perceived inside an NFL building. You come in with the two attached to your name. Yeah, you're supposed to go in and certainly be the backup right away. You might eventually become something, but there's not that pressure, even among guys on the team. Like I've had plenty of buddies around the NFL at different positions, other positions, who when you see a guy drafted fourth round and up at your spot, you start thinking about what your future with that team looks like. Because that kind of capital poured into it is usually an indication that they're thinking about trying to replace what you've been offering at that position. At quarterback, it's a little different. When you see the one attached to a guy's name, they got a future in mind for that guy. When they see a two, it's, hey, we see some things that we like about your game and think that you could develop into, but it doesn't necessarily have to be right now. And I think that part of it for Jalen coming in and having his progression be a little bit more linear where it's been incremental progress each and every year for Jalen. Very similar to what we talk about in Buffalo with Josh Allen, albeit I think with just a lesser version of all of the physical gifts. It's been that steady progression each and every year. And when you can look at it and see the ways that it makes sense and you can see that line steadily going up and that tracks all the way back to his college career that intersected with Tua Tungavailoa, I think all of that as the backdrop kind of affects the way that we're going to judge these guys as a part of this conversation. And right, wrong, or indifferent, when there's the mania around you that Tua had in college and as a pro, that is a part of the narrative for you coming into the situation. I think that's where a lot of the scrutiny comes from. Right, wrong, or indifferent, I think that's where so much of the attention gets focused on, too. Uh, and that's why Jalen Hurts gets comparative lesser until now, when Micah Parsons points this out. And I'm sure there are still detractors somewhere for Jalen Hurts that exist. But I think relative to expectation, he's already done so much more than people expected of him coming out of college based on what we saw there and the trajectory we thought he was on, that it feels a little bit more like found money than Tua Tungavailoa, who's finally been tapping into the thing that we believed he was all along. So that's a little of what we got there. Micah Parsons is one of those dudes, by the way. He can go out there and write that check. Because even in this situation, 
when they play, he's going to have to see Jordan Mailata. He's going to have to see Jalen Hurts. And if anyone should be a confident in their ability to go out there and write checks that they're asking cash, it is Micah Parsons, the likely defensive player of the year this season. And so there might be some other Cowboys that may not appreciate that. But at the same time, what he said is also not that inflammatory either. You could see where he was inching up to. I don't think he actually went over the line on that, but he inched close enough for a quarterback that so far this season and Jalen Hurts has done nothing but prove people wrong. I saw Dan Orlovsky put the hand up on NFL Live the other day and say I was wrong about this dude. Shit, I have to do the same thing. I was on here and on plenty of platforms saying this guy tracked like a career backup, and that is not the case. Jalen Hurts is an NFL starter, and he absolutely, like Tua, like a lot of quarterbacks, gets help from the system around him, but we also see him impact the game in so many ways, and he has managed to improve so much each and every year going back to college from what we saw, that it's hard to ignore and certainly hard to be critical in a lot of ways of what we've seen, especially as of late as he's playing his best football. Two is also hitting a tough stretch right now, and he's going to have the chance to respond and overcome this weekend. And that is what we are going to talk to our friend ESPN, NFL Nation, uh, Dolphins reporter Marcel Louis-Jacques about after we take this break here right in one second. All right, very excited. Uh, guess we haven't had on the podcast before. Someone whose work that I have consumed and enjoyed for a long time. Uh, Marcel Louis-Jacques, the ESPN NFL Nation Dolphins reporter, formerly the ESPN NFL Nation Bills reporter. So this is the Marcel Bowl coming up this weekend, part two uh, in the NFL. How you doing, Marcel? I'm good, man. I'm good. Yeah, it's it's such an, a, an captivating week because no matter what I put out, it's going to get attacked from either fan base <laughs> So I'm just kind of like every now and then I'll just kind of like let let the you know pull the strings a little maybe toss a little bit of bait just to watch the battle and my mentions go off but only when I don't only when I have time only when I have time exactly only when you I looked at this situation like when people always talk about team signing NFL free agents who have been on another team and everyone always wonders oh are they getting some inside info about that team and their system that they bring over late in the year like I'm assuming the Dolphins looked at this as an acquisition and said this guy knows the ins and outs of this Bills team we're gonna go in here and start to get the real inside info now (laughs) Yeah, last year, actually, my first day, Brian Flores just kind of pulled me into a side room, like with padded walls, and basically, like, you're going to tell us your secrets or you're going to pay. But uh, no, no, not that. Of course, not that serious. Um, What's it called? I I, I might get a, you know, might get a question for a food recommendation or like a a good brewery in town, something like that. But other than that, football-wise, man, I think uh, Mike McDaniel's a little bit smarter. Than me. That's what I that's what I was gonna ask on the food end too, because I saw you hit a self-imposed under on in and out trips when you were out here for the West Coast swing. I did have to start off and ask where you fell on that one because we've had a debate on this podcast about where the in and out burger actually falls on the fast food burger scale. So yeah. judging by the amount of times you hit that, I'm gonna guess you're pretty high on this. Oh yeah. So I grew up in California. I grew up in Sacramento. In and out is more than just the burger and fries to us Californians, it is, it's home. It's nostalgia. It's, you know, Friday night after a football game, it's, you know, basketball games, big win, go celebrate it in and out type deal. Like it, it's more than just the burger itself. But that being said, the burger is damn good. The burger is good. I'll take no slander. I'll take zero complaints. I, I don't want to hear about, I, I just spent Thanksgiving at my girlfriend's place, you know, her, her family in Dallas. And, uh, I mean, just between her brother and her dad, just 
racking on in and out i was like man i kind of want to go home this hurt my feelings right now like that's <laughs> i don't i don't have an acceptable comeback to this you guys got me outnumbered here but uh you know the fries are the fries you put a little salt on them and it's fine but the burger is special man and it's cheap i i just i don't personally see the downside to in and out well, that's what I always point out because I've been on the other side. Like, for a while, it got positioned against five guys, which I thought was unfair because of the price point that you just mentioned. Yes. You're going to get a lot of burger for your buck there. I'm assuming they were arguing on behalf of Whataburger, and I got to be honest, I went down to Texas uh, this fall and had Whataburger for the first time. Really didn't do a lot for me. The Dr. Pepper Whataburger? milkshake was the best thing that they had there by far. Which, like, Whataburger's best quality is its chicken and it's breakfast. And so, like, how can you call yourself Whataburger, Whataburger and your burger's mid? Like, I, I won't. The burger's mid. Fries, mid. Honey butter chicken biscuit, fire, though. You yes. got <laughs> Respect where respect is due. That might be the best <laughs> fast food item in the country. But the burgers, the patty melt, <laughs> give me a give me a double-double or a three-by-three, three and I'm any day, ten times out of ten. See, that's how you can tell this man's serious. He paid respect where it's due, but understands that there are certain standards that we got to uphold when it comes to the burger. So I, uh, I'm, I'm glad we're starting off on the right foot. I will, cards on the table. I have said I think In-N-Out does. Now, see, the way you phrased it is, to me, more endearing because there's a nostalgia aspect to it. I said yeah. that there's a lot of hype built into it for outsiders just because I can't justify waiting in line that long for anything like that. Like, I can't do the drive through line. I know they move it fast, but my whole thing is, like, I just can't deal with that side of it. I feel like there's a little bit too much hype from outsiders that goes into that. Yeah, it's not – it's, like, a real blessing when you find just, like, a nice suburban in and out like, uh, you know, off kind of a side street or something like that, and – you get in and out. I mean, no pun intended. My flight out of uh, my flight out of San Jose. I mean, like it, my flight was at like three at one forty five. I'm I'm pulling into an in and out, and I'm I'm there. I get my food and I'm gone within twenty minutes, twenty five minutes. Like within at least five to ten of me even ordering, I have my food, and that's the kind of in and out service that I think they're named for. Does it get crowded? Yeah. Is it, you know, kind of a tourist attraction at this point? Yeah. And like most tourist attractions, does it fail to meet the legendary hype attached to it? Yeah. But it's still a damn good burger, man. It is. It, listen, there's a reason that every time we used to go play Southern Cal, we would send a bunch of like either the GAs or the ops people out to get in and out burger for us the night before games. The standard is the standard. So you're absolutely right. And uh, that's the kind of information we're looking for on this podcast here as we get set now. So you finished up the West Coast swing uh, in that regard. You guys are pulling it together. This is a Saturday game this weekend against a division opponent that you know well in Buffalo, what is kind of the state of the Dolphins right now coming off the last two weeks? Because I feel like the national conversation is, well, defenses have put out a bit of a blueprint on how to go and affect this offense. What's the response been from Mike McDaniel and Dolphins camp this week? Well, that's the thing is we need to see the response because they didn't respond properly to losing to the San Francisco 49ers. I think that, you know, personally, from the media perspective, looking into it, you could kind of write off the Niners' loss and say, okay, they're the best defense in the NFL. The plays were actually there to be made. Tua just missed them, and that's kind of, you know, uncharacteristic of how he's played this season. Um, plus, they're just perfectly built to stop what the 
Dolphins do best. You know, with the speedy linebackers taking away the middle of the field, they got Hufanga, they got Bosa speeding up the game clock or the play clock. Like, it, it's you can understand why maybe they would struggle. But the Chargers on Sunday night, I think they were a little shocked. I think they were a little shocked that they came out so flat and that the Chargers came out with such a strong game plan and they, they weren't ready. They didn't counter it. Mike McDaniel said after the game that this was probably the furthest miss the team has had in terms of pregame expectations versus reality. Or I guess we could say reality was probably a little further down there in this case. But, uh, you know, it's it's a short week. We heard from Mike today. Uh, it's in Buffalo. It's in Buffalo in December. You know exactly what that means. It is going to snow. Like, they're talking lake effect snow. And anybody who knows what lake effect snow is, you know how serious it is. For those who don't, it basically means it's going to be it's going to be a meme. It's going to be a, 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 a you know, a, well, we, a I mean, we saw it earlier this year. They had to move a whole game to Detroit for this reason because yeah. of a Buffalo shaped snowstorm that was coming towards that place. It was insane. It dumped, it buried the entire stadium. It's not supposed to be that bad, but there are weather, there are meteorologists in Buffalo who are comparing this to the 2017 game against the Colts. And that oh. one, when it just, they got like feet plural of 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 snow in about an hour and a half two hours and they just had to play in this mess of a tundra uh you know it, it looked like a, a video game it looked like a movie man but that's what they're comparing it to just you know on that scale not as bad as the one that moved it to detroit but still pretty bad and uh you know mike was asked about it today how do you prepare for this kind of snow for this kind of weather and he made a lot of people in Buffalo kind of angry. You know, it doesn't take much, but he made a lot of people out there kind of angry by saying, eh, I, I, I'm going to do, you know, zero monitoring of it. Um, you know, it's the only way you can really prepare for that kind of weather is, you know, mentally deciding if it is going to be a factor for you or not. Are you mentally going to let it be a block in your focus this week? That's what he was trying to say. Mind over matter. Bills fans did not take it that way. And they've been waiting ever since that game in week three. Like they've been complaining about the sun and, you know, not being allowed to use misters, which I have, I don't know where they got that from. Uh, <laughs> literally every team that I've watched it bask in that sun, bake in that sun has like canopies over them. They have this thing called like, I think it's a dragon's breath bench, like a cooling bench that sprays like, I don't know where this complaint about the sun is. Like, nobody was complaining how hot it was when they were beating the Dolphins seven times in a row, but I digress a little bit here. He is trying not to let the weather be the story. They have a task at hand. They are trying to do something great together, as he said, and you can't let previous results influence future results. So they're ready to move forward. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans will feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. And I believe the mind over matter stuff when it comes to weather. Like, I mean, we see guy I was a former fat guy. That's why we would go out there without <laughs> sleeves on to try and project that mind over matter there. But at some point for this Dolphins team and how they've played, and especially with the injuries along the offensive line that have been, I think, just as much a part of the last few weeks as anything else. How does it maybe affect the way they're able to go about this? Because a lot of people look at this offense as a bit of a Ferrari, right? You got the small, fast guys in the receiving core. It's built to go bombs away downfield. Is this an offense that is built to move into December and January football comfortably? Uh, I mean, on paper, not necessarily just because what they've done, it's they're not necessarily predicated on the big play and the big pass, the 50 yard bomb, but they do that better than any other team in the NFL. And nobody to this point has really made them stop doing that. And so they haven't stopped doing that. But they have guys like, I mean, when you have Tyreek Hill and you have Jalen Waddell and you do have Mike Gusecki, he is still on the team. I've been catchless in the past three games, but he is still on the team. You've got guys who can make an impact in short yardage situations. They can get open fairly quickly. You know, they are built to say, okay, let's stop doing that. Let's, let's go more, let's get into that yak. That we we keep talking about. Let's 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 you know from zero to ten, zero to nine yards. Let's start to pick teams apart and hope that Waddle or Hill can break through. Uh, let's almost use our short to intermediate passing game as an extension of the run game, since they're not really been able to to get a lot of things going on the ground there. Uh, you know they 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 have the ingredients there, like they have what's necessary. They just have to go do it. I don't think that there's a lot of doubt in saying, like, if they're forced to go short to Tyreek Hill, the Bills of all teams should know how dangerous that guy can be on a short, quick slant. God, yeah. I, man, you want to talk about triggering Bills fans. Yeah, Congratulations, my friend. <laughs> it's always going to be too soon on that. But it, it's a, it's Sorry, a good guys. point, and, and you're right. And you mentioned confidence in, in those certain areas. I think the one thing that's interesting, and I'd be curious from your perspective around Miami – because two has been the most polarizing quarterback in football for the majority of the last couple of seasons. And mm-hmm. we've seen so much of that change through the first half of this year. And in the last couple of games, have you seen anyone in the way that they digest him wane in confidence now because of what we've seen these last couple of weeks? No, honestly, uh, it, it, it has almost kind of felt like McDaniel has gone out of his way not to throw Tua under the bus. I don't know if that is um, like an effort just to, you know, project public confidence while privately saying like, you did this, you did this, you did this. Or if they truly don't believe he's been the problem. Uh, He was the problem against the 49ers. Like that's, there's really not a lot of other ways to to put it. He was off target 27% of his throws. It was a season high. Like that's, you're sailing, you're sailing the ball over guys' head who are essentially wide open. Uh, it's it's hard to really paint that any other way. This last game, 
I think they might have got more out coached than Tua got flat out outplayed. I don't think they were ready to see that kind of press coverage from from the Chargers. I don't think they're ready to see that level of physicality. And Tua, where he has really struggled the past two weeks, Tua did not was not able to create outside that structure. And you know, when you talk about the difference between like the good quarterbacks and the upper echelon quarterbacks. It's that ability. It's that right there. The ability when something breaks down to be able to extend a play and make something happen. Um, Justin Herbert did it all night. Like that was the. I've been making this example. I've been making this point for the past couple of weeks and watching him do it. You know, I one of the first things I said was like that. Like that's that's what it looks like. And I know it, it sucks to hear as a Dolphins fan. You're like, why of all people did it have to be that guy doing it? But even Brock Purdy did it a little bit you know, uh, the week beforehand. And that's just, that's something that Tua has struggled to do over the past two weeks. And it's kind of highlighting some of his imperfections as a quarterback. But, uh, you know, it, uh, again, it, it's kind of, it's going to take a team effort. It's going to take a, a, a coaching effort to right the ship here because a lot of this offense is based on the rhythm and timing. And Tua is very good in that system when, when it's working. He is very good when it's working. Uh, there's just, I think the past two weeks have brought about a little bit of concern about how effective he can be when it's not. His teammates, though, from what I can tell, they're still fully behind him. Tyreek Hill even said after the game Sunday, said Tua did enough for us to win. I dropped passes. Like, I left things on the field. I have to support my quarterback because that's not going to show up in the stat sheet. You're not going to see 10 for 38 with an asterisk in the asterisk said. Tyree Kill four drop passes, so you know he's uh, he he still has to his back. The team still believes into it. He is still their best option. Like there's no Teddy's been hurt for the past oh, yeah. few weeks, and Tua has outplayed him greatly since OTAs. So has really Skylar Thompson has has it's been neck and neck between him him and Teddy. But I don't think Skylar's you know it's not a Purdy situation. It's not a I don't think he can step in and lead this team to the playoffs. Like I, I think that. You're going to need good quarterback play over the next month. You play the Bills. You're you're at the Patriots. You you play the you play the Jets at home there in the season, and you got Green Bay sandwich in there. So you're going to need your quarterback to be better. Yeah, no, I think we're past the point where like the notion of replacing Tua is out there. But you're right, and you you highlighted what is the clear difference. I think, and the clearer thing that Tua's game lacks that we talk about with some of the quarterbacks, like the one you'll see across the field from the Dolphins this weekend. And so the defenses that you have coming up to face, if you're Miami, all stress you in that way. Tredavious White back for the first time for a full game this past weekend. Greg Rousseau and the way that D-line stepped up without Von Miller. It feels like all of those things match up in a way that we talked about and that you talked about with Certainly what San Francisco's defense is able to do talent and speed wise in specific areas, but then now this game plan of kind of getting up and roughing up the receivers near the line of scrimmage early on that even uh, the Chargers were able to do. Yeah, it was honestly, it was brilliant just to, again, anything to disrupt the timing. And so when you, you say things like, you know, blueprint, blueprint, like, yeah, the blueprint is kind of there. If you've got the, if you've got the horses to run that race, like this is how, this is how you can disrupt the Dolphins, like the blueprint for stopping that version of the Dolphins is very much out into the world. So now the ball is in McDaniel's court. Like this is where you figure out, okay, this is what they've been doing. This is how we counter it. And we'll see the first iteration of that 
this Saturday. But yeah, there's absolutely a blueprint on how to beat the Dolphins, but like a, a blueprint more or less gets put out into the world every every time a team loses. It's about how to counter it from here. You got humbled on Sunday night. That's basically what I hear from, they don't directly say it, but reading between the lines, they got humbled on Sunday night football. It, it's it's time to respond. It's time for you to throw that counter punch. I want to look at the other side of the ball quick because we talked about Josh. How different is the Bills offense that, this Miami defense is going to see this week versus the one they saw earlier in the season because Tua is not the only quarterback that struggled since that UCL injury. It seems like Josh Allen hasn't quite been himself. He hasn't, but you know he is. He's every week he gets a little bit, little bit healthier, a little bit further removed from that injury. Uh, you know, one thing that he he would need to get back to, and I think he he more or less has since that like three week stretch where you know anytime he entered the red zone, he's throwing it up for grabs. Uh, he is cognizant of that gunslinger inside of him. And if he puts his mind to it, Josh is capable of just simply taking what's given to him. I think like Zach Wilson said a few a few weeks ago, like said the quiet part out loud, like it, it, it's boring. Like nobody, no quarterback really deep down wants to do that. But, you know, Josh is capable of doing that. Uh, I think they are, uh, if I remember correctly, they're a little bit healthier on, on offense or actually no other way around. They're a little less healthy on offense. I don't think Deion Dawkins is playing, but I'll have to double check their injury report today. Uh, it, but it really, the reason why like, I'm, I'm not just hyper fixated on the injuries that the Bills have, it's because two things. Josh Allen is playing and Stephon Diggs is playing. And I don't really care about anything else. Like I know like they need improvements here, here, here. But when, again, we're talking about superstar, the superstar's burden is elevating the rest of your team when the odds are kind of stacked against you, whether it's injuries, whether it's elements, you know, so on and so forth. So as long as 17 and 14 are on the field, like, like all bets are off, man. Like no matter what is stacked against the bills, they still have what it takes to win. Those two are that good and that impactful. So for the Dolphins defense, then, especially with how teams have tried to limit the Bills downfield passing attack, we know this Dolphins pass defense has struggled for a lot of this season. With how Christian Wilkins and Bradley Chubb have been playing, though, how much does that affect that? Because this is, I think, the best football Christian's played as an NFL player so far. Yeah, and then, you know, the price of the bag is going up a little bit more every <laughs> single week. If you're if you're the dog, you're Brandon Shore, you're, you're, you're Chris Greer, like, on one hand, like, you're celebrating, and on the other hand, you're kind of punching air because money is tight, you know. <laughs> money, is, yeah. money is a little tight this, this offseason. And he's going to – he's he deserves quite a bit of it. But, uh, yeah, it, it totally disrupts because he's been such a presence, uh, you know, getting that interior pressure that it has made it hard to navigate a pocket if you're a quarterback because you, you can't, you know, you can't step up because Christian's occupying that space and it's hard to bounce out because Chubb and really Jalen Phillips have been – Jalen Phillips specifically has been in a kind of a league of his own or tier of his own. Uh, you know, I'm on the Dolphins' defense ever since they brought Bradley Chubb in. I don't know if it's directly related to that addition and the the attention that offensive lines and you know protection schemes have to give him. But he was already on that bubble of really exploding and becoming like a top end edge rusher. And uh, once he starts to finish a few more of these pass rushers, I think like a lot more people are gonna take note. But it. it it helps because these are big, fast guys who can create pressure fast or quickly and can pursue 
a guy like Josh Allen who loves to extend plays. That's what he hangs his hat on. Yeah, I think you saw that interior rush hurt them bad against the Jets too. So I think that's an interesting way to kind of transpose this Dolphins defense over the top and say, all right, you had dudes that gave them in trouble along the interior when you had a similar formula last week. If you're Miami, when it's all said and done at this point, does Miami get the win? Can they go up to Buffalo in this kind of weather and in this environment and get a win? Or are we going to start to sweat out this playoff chance even a little bit more after this weekend? It is one of those things where it's not outside the realm of possibility, but I will believe it when I will believe it when I see it. Uh, you know, as much as we want to say like weather is overrated and, and conditions like that are overrated, and Tua has said a lot about. Uh, I mean, he just said today that he, when he practiced in the offseason in Maryland with snow on the ground and twenty degree temp, he said he he didn't feel any of the effects of throwing a football in that weather. I would like to see it. I would. I that. It's not that I can't believe it. It's that I need to see it first, and then I will. I will wholeheartedly believe it's true. Um, they do have a lot. Like they tend to bring it when when it comes to Buffalo Week. They haven't been talented enough in the past, or well coached enough in the past to actually finish games off before this season. But uh, I, I think that you know the motivation of losing three straight. I don't think it's a blowout. I don't think they just wash the, the Dolphins off the field. I don't think they just freeze in their tracks or anything. I think it's a close game. Um, I am inclined to believe Buffalo wins this game. But it's, again, not outside the realm of possibility that Miami can shock Western New York. They will be shocked. Would be I, shocked. It would, be, it would definitely be shocked. The one thing we know is if that much snow is falling on the ground, it's going to render really great on TV, and I'm going to be really glad that I am not anywhere near <laughs> outside in those elements, braving the cold with the rest of those maniacs. But uh, you guys, uh, make sure you check out his work for ESPN, Marcel Louis, uh, Louis-Jacques, one of the best doing it, has covered both of these teams uh, extremely well and also a connoisseur if you're looking for a place to get a burger and a beer in Buffalo, I'd imagine. Oh, okay. I got I got spots, man. I got spots. I've already been making, you know, pseudo reservations and making sure, you know, certain food items are available and this and that. Like uh, it is a it's a true homecoming in that regard, man. I do miss I do miss my restaurants, and my, my 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 breweries in Buffalo, man. Those were uh, just run by good people. Incredibly good food. Next time you're there, let me know. I'll make sure you get pointed in the right direction. Done deal. I got my uh, plug all set up for my next trip to uh, to the fine folks at Buffalo. Marcel, appreciate the time, man. Thank you. Of course, man. All right, now's the time of the podcast where I normally ask Brandon the question of, do you know what time it is? And since it's Aubrey's first day sitting opposite me, I'm not going to make her sing uh, the this, that, and the third intro that we usually do for the last uh, three stories of the day that we get involved with here. It is Christmas time. I'm going to try and do my best. We spent a lot of time before the show going back and combing through what Brandon had already done and already sung. We feel like we've landed on a song that he did. At Gojo Show on Twitter, as always, you can let me know if I'm aired on that, if I'm biting from what he's already done. I'm just going to call it sampling like everybody else does and call it a day. All right. Rocking around the Christmas tree at the Christmas party hop. Mistletoe hung where you can't see every couple tries to stop. Rocking around the Christmas tree, let the this, that, and the third. 
Later we'll have some pumpkin pie and we'll do some caroling. You will get a sentimental feeling when you hear voices singing. Let's be jolly. Deck the halls with this, that, and the third. Rocking around the Christmas tree. Have a happy holiday. Everyone dancing merrily in the this, that, and the third. Boo, doo, 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 boo. I really wanted you to ad lib in there when you're going to hear us talk about MILF Manor. <laughs> I'm so excited for that. Oh, one day I will have the technical skill to be able to weave MILF Manor into a Christmas carol. That's <laughs> when we really have arrived as a podcast, which. <laughs> My, my, oh, my, uh, that's an indication of where we're going on all this. Let's get to this, that, and the third. Basically, let's get through these sports stories so we can talk about the most important reality TV show that's about to come in our ears. A little bit of news to start with this. Um, in the world of the World Cup, we've got our final set for the Men's World Cup. Uh, France ended Morocco's run yesterday and will now face Argentina in the World Cup final. This is a, a rematch these two faced off in the World Cup in Russia Back in 2018, France beat Argentina 4-3 to in that game. So plenty of lightning bolts in that one. Um, France won 2-1 two run, two over Morocco again, who was the first African nation to make it to the World Cup semis. And my oh my, we talked about this yesterday with Ashlyn and Allie. I am so excited for this final because we get to see two of the best players in the world, probably the two best players in the world right now. And if you listen to Ali and Ashlyn, a player in Kylian Mbappe, who is a world-class goal scorer for French, for uh, French in that side, uh, plays his uh, football for PSG over in that league, go up and a guy they believe could be the greatest of all time when he's all said and done, go up against uh, Lionel Messi, who is right now considered the greatest to ever do it, or one of the couple of greatest to ever do it has been side by side with Cristiano Ronaldo for the better part of my adult life as the two faces of the sport worldwide. And so getting to watch those two guys square off with each other. Aubrey, I heard that there were people outside getting buck outside Messi's grandma's house back in Argentina. Yeah, apparently. So I was online just kind of like scrolling some soccer things and it's like her house, like no security, no, nothing, just the masses just rolled up right on her front doorstep, and they're just chanting his name. It's got to be so weird to essentially be a god like that in the country that you hail from. Shout out to Grandma, though. No security detail, no extra tidings around there. Grandma stayed humble through the process. She's not worried. She, I, I always wonder, like, do people like that? Or is she secretly just wishing she could go out there in Gran Torino and just get off my lawn? Get ah. off my lawn. Get out of here. I'm sure after the while, there's a little bit of both. And like, I'm only in my 30s, so I don't get too much of that yet. But at the same time, like, I feel like as you grow older, you just like your space more and more. She's probably used to the fame somewhat, but I'd imagine grandma keeps that thing on her inside that house. But I'm also, how do people find that out, too? Like, <sighs> that's the other weird part. Like, <laughs> I. Stalkerish. People know a little bit too much, and as we see often with uh, football around the rest of the world, sometimes your family is in a position that they would rather not be in for anybody involved. So this is a reminder to everyone, just be cool and normal about folks' families. You don't got to go over and celebrate at Grandma's house. You can just celebrate with your own family and your own grandma as you get to watch Argentina and France face off in the World Cup final. So going to be pumped for that one here. Guy almost landed a bicycle kick for Morocco in that game yesterday. It was ridiculous across the board but if you haven't tuned in at all 
And I always say there are certain players in every sport that just transcend whatever knowledge of the sport you have to have walking in any technical know-how. Kylian Mbappe is that player. You can lay eyes on him the way I do, and you will see he does this different than everybody else on the field. And certainly Messi is that way, but Mbappe does it with, I think, even more physical ability as someone who's a bigger body, such an incredibly fast player. Pumped to watch this one. According to DraftKings Sportsbook, by the way, the opening lines are out right now. France, the favorite of this one at plus 175. Argentina at plus 185 uh, as well. So you can check that out if that's something you're into. We'll get to that uh, real quick also. Uh, We got the news that we have been waiting for. UCLA, uh, given the nod by the University of California Board of Regents to make the move to the Big Ten. Last time on Dragon Ball Z when we had picked this up, we know USC and UCLA were getting ready to dip and get some of that fine Big Ten money. But UCLA, being a part of the California school system, had to answer to a few other people in the process. So it was multiple months. They made a pitch about how they'll be using all of this newfound money for great resources for the student-athletes, for their well-being and mental health, and all of these great things. And listen, Martin Jarman, the UCLA athletic director, by all accounts, a good man. I've gotten to meet him very briefly. Seems like a good guy. He said, we're excited to join the Big Ten Conference in 2024. Grateful the Board of Regents thoughtful engagement in this decision. We've always been guided by what's best for our 25 teams and more than 700 student athletes. And the Big Ten offers exciting new competitive opportunities on a bigger national media platform for our athletes to compete and showcase their talent. Kind of true. Like, this is always just about the money. They're going to make so much freaking money. UCLA uh, carries like $62 million in debt. These TV deals are probably going to net them like $70 million a year. And so it can do some good on the other side. They're going to have to pay the uh, Cal Berkeley, I think, like between 10 and tw- uh, 10, 2 and $10 million um, as a subsidy there to also help, quote, enhance the student athlete support on campus at U Berkeley, UC Berkeley, which I'm sure UCLA said, bitch, I know guac is extra. Like 10 million, they're gonna, they're gonna shit gold coins for the next however many decades of their life. My favorite line in all of this, though, Aubrey, is as they were talking about what was going on and in this move and the fears about players and the travel that would now be associated playing in the Big Ten footprint. The quote was, you don't play Rutgers every week. Is that, is that a backhanded compliment? I think in its own way, it's a backhanded compliment. I do just appreciate that in all of this, what it's turned into is Rutgers as the center of conversation (laughs) for the Big Ten. Because all of this has been about, oh, look at all this money that Rutgers managed to find themselves in by being New Jersey's team in the Big Ten. And look at how teams are going to have to travel out all the way to Rutgers from the West Coast. And so this conversation is properly centered the Big Ten on its true core at Rutgers. So that's uh, someone's got to be the scapegoat. But also the weird part for me is I spent half of my life growing up in the Midwest. Uh, I'm originally from Indiana. So just like the whole thing is just weird to me. Yeah. Oh, it's I, I've I've been trying to prepare the people in California. And now the folks in UCLA can officially get ready for this for just how much ranch dressing you've got to be able to ingest if you're going to be a part of this Midwest footprint. And still, the joke remains having to go to Minnesota in November. I cannot wait. As someone that saw the look on the faces of a bunch of Miami players that we played in the bowl game in El Paso, (laughs) Texas, where it was 30 degrees and snowing, they were done before kickoff. And I'd imagine if you get one of these West Coast teams that maybe has a little bit of a down year, maybe Chip Kelly's squad takes a little bit of a step back with DTR leaves, and you're like 
four and five walking into that matchup in November. I don't really know how it's going to go for you. No, that's not going to be a good time. A little dicey, a little icy. Nope, but uh, I have a feeling the uh, facilities upgrades and all those fine things that are going to come with this massive TDD deal hopefully make their way down there. Hopefully plenty of NIL deals for the kids here because, uh, hell, if everyone else is going to make money, we need to make sure they are too because that's, again, above all this other stuff, what this is going to be about. You see, the UC Board of Regents wasn't going to stand in the way and give themselves the bad PR of trying to stop UCLA from going and making this move. They got a little bit of hush money at the end and everyone gets to go on their merry way. As do we. Let's get to the third here uh, for the most important story of the day. We got a teaser trailer from the folks over at TLC for a brand new reality series called MILF Manor. A new reality series where eight eligible MILFs are looking to find love with men half their age. Uh, It includes a 47-year-old fitness studio owner from Mexico currently living in Miami, a spontaneous 50-year-old disco mommy from Orange County, and a 44-year-old Jersey girl who's relocated to Los Angeles, as well as a 59-year-old fitness instructor and singer from L.A. Now, a lot of people have made the joke that this is a pretty direct ripoff of MILF Island, the sketch from 30 Rock, which... If you go back and watch the clip, Aubrey is pretty spot on and smart. Like more people should just steal shows from within shows and repurpose them in modern life. There's a lot of similarities, but there's also a lot to unpack in that description. First of all, I'm like, what's a disco mommy? Does that just mean that you still go out to the bars all the time and you use a snazzy word to like spruce that up? And I'm just like, oh my gosh. I just, the, the, the trailer itself where the, there's a twist at the end, my brain immediately went to, this is all of their sons. So like this- Like they're going to date each other's sons. This is the major plot twist. You're right. At the end of it is they have, and they build it up as one shocking twist. And the whole time, all you've been getting from the guys is shots of young guy abs and young guy legs and speedos and all the usual sexed up stuff we've seen in The Bachelor and other reality shows before. But they have the twist and they play the reaction shot from all of the MILFs that are viewing these guys the first time they're revealed. And the shock looks like I see my son in a lineup with what I'd imagine are the sons of these other women who are now all going to try and date the others. And Aubrey, I have never been a single mother. I have never been a single mother looking for love. But as a son of a mother, which I can say in like the least problematic way that anyone's ever used that kind of phrasing, usually in like some bullshit apology. As a son of a mom, the last thing on earth I am going to do is be on a reality dating show where either one of us could see the other in a compromised position. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. I don't know how. Like, I I need to hope, Aubrey, that everyone involved was tricked and that they were not told that this was the case and that maybe these families just don't communicate well. Because if both parties agreed to come on this journey together in this way, I got a lot of questions that would probably be better solved by a therapist. It's one of these things, too, also, where I feel like if that is the case, I'm not even really going to be shocked. Um, I feel like a lot of us have heard about reality TV producers um, and the the way they're allowed to do things. Um, And this just, I would like to think that the show is not going to be that twisted. But again, I'm not going to be shocked uh, if it is their sons, each other's sons. It's it's 100% their sons. And I, I need for the sake of humanity... 
for one of the like pairs of moms and sons to immediately bow out. Like I got to know somebody's just like, nah, can't do this. Cannot do this. Just so I know we aren't totally. Cause to be clear, I am going to watch this. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's obvious. Like we've got to watch this. Right. But I feel like they have to know, um, because as somebody who has been contacted a couple of times by oh. reality show producers, they do tell you what's going on. Um, so uh, apparently they're doing like a love is blind and Charlotte. Um, I didn't really sign anything, so I guess I could talk about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's no NDAs out here. You guys can't do no shit. Um, and I'm not the only one. Uh, several of my friends have been contacted as well. And, um, you know, I'm going to be honest. It was like right when I got this job and I was like, should I just do it? I had friends that, uh, at ESPN were always like, you should definitely be on the bachelor. Not because they think that I would honestly find the love, but I would just be that funny girl, um, who was just there for comedic entertainment. Uh, my two friends that I worked with at films, Andrea and Morgan, they were like, you would be perfect. So I'm sitting here just hearing them in the back of my head, like I should just do this. Right. So this guy from Love is Blind contacts me and he's like, have you seen the show? And I'm like, no. And he's like, watch an episode. We'll talk. I'm like, okay. So I watch an episode. He calls me and I'm just like, dude, I can't. <laughs> oh, so that was your, ta so what was your takeaway on that? Cause I've watched, I watched Love is Blind season two. I am halfway through Love is Blind season three right now. So I'm very familiar. What was the thing that turned you away from wanting to do this? Oh, to be honest, <laughs> for one, it's like, it's very love bomby to me. Like the whole, like you've maybe talked to them for two days and they're like, I am so in love with you. You're my soulmate. Like that's, the, that is not that is not good. Um, that has happened to me in real life, and it has never led me to oh. a, a good one. Oh. <laughs> um, it's, it's classic love bombing. Look it up. It's just promising ah. you the world from day two, and some people fall for it, but it's never good. It is not healthy. It will not end well. I was just like, I, I can't do this. I was like, my love life is already a mess on its own, and I really don't need help for that to be exploited across uh, everyone's social media. Yeah, it, it's it's difficult. It takes place, I think, over the course of like nine days or something. Yeah, the it's, initial it's like incubation period. The wedding, I think, is like, or the proposal is like within four weeks or something, I think. Yep. So the wedding is four weeks after the proposal. And you've got that middle ground where after you leave the pods, then you go to a resort. Then you guys live in an apartment together. And it's all sort of microwaved. And don't get me wrong. Like, you don't have your phones for the entire time either. And the one thing I've said is a crossover. I climbed uh, with Chris Long's charity, the water boys. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro as a part of their charity effort. And we yeah. were up there with no cell service for six days. And you do get to know people in a different level when you got no contact with the outside world. But at the same time, does seem a little bit dicey for all the reasons that you mentioned. The only right. other thing that seems appealing is you do get to just kind of hang out with a bunch of guys or a bunch of girls and get drunk for the rest of the day. And that part seems pretty fun. My favorite part was when he's starting to like try to talk to me about all these things, but make them very like covered up. And I was like, Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like I've worked in uh, I've worked in television and he just, it was like crickets. And he was like, really? Oh, uh, like, what do you do? And I was like, Oh, I've been a producer. And he was like, uh, 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 like ah! just 
speechless. And then he was like, well, what's your title now? And I was like, well, I just got a new job, um, but I'm an associate producer. He was like, oh, well, Netflix would never. We would have to change that. We could call you like a social media creator, like a content creator. Influencer. Oh. He was like, we wouldn't be able to call you a producer and have you on the show. Wow. See, this is a little bit more how the sausage is made here. You can't always trust those lower thirds in the way that people are fonted. Oh, yeah. you had them shook because they knew that you knew all the bullshit they were going to try and pull. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was trying to feed it to me. And I was just letting him talk, talk, talk. And I was like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, man. He was trying to mansplain production to you. Look, mm, bless yeah. your heart, buddy. I mean, don't let the hat fool you. There's hair under here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but my God. Well, we're, gl we're glad that you're here. I won't lie. It would have been incredible content if you were producing for us and had to take <laughs> a leave of absence to go on love is blind. We would have been very supportive of your journey, but we're thrilled that you're here. And now this is only going to thicken the plot because I'd imagine you'll have to keep us posted. If they're doing one in Charlotte, chances are you will know some or a few of the people involved. And so we'll be looking for insider info when season four does come out for that reason. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, we hope that uh, love has been truly blind for you in this podcast. If you only consume us on an audio format, if you like us on the visual, that's pretty cool too. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review and do that again. I know I, like, it feels like it only happens when I yell at you guys at the end sometimes here. And I don't like to yell at you guys because I love you guys. I care about you guys and I appreciate everyone who listens to this show. But we need you to keep reviewing. We're right below like the 700 reviews mark. And there's something about my ego that likes round numbers and that big number there. So help us join a very different 700 club. Get out there and rate and review. Make sure you check us out on the DraftKings YouTube cha uh, channel also. Subscribe there. We are under the Gojo of Mike Golick Jr. playlist so you can see us and find out if love is truly blind when you get to us in the real world here. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.